the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Luke has written his gospel to show us that our faith is a reliable one. We can know the things that we've been taught are true. And so we're coming to the end of that account as we are coming to the cross now. And so the, what started as a wonderful nightly Passover celebration has turned into a nightmare uh, for the disciples. All but John have fled, but even he remained silent at Jesus' trial. And you know, in Jesus, when the soldiers and the chief priest came there in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him, he called this their hour and the jurisdiction of evil. And much evil will be perpetrated against the sinless Lamb of God from this point forward. Self will be exalted and God and the flesh will be officially rejected. So chapter 22, verse 63, it says, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. When they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote you? And many other things blasphemously did they speak against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Are you the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then said they all, Are you the Son of God then? And he said unto them, you say that I am. And they said, what need we have any further witness? For we we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. We'll also get into the trial before Pilate, but I want to stop here for a moment. We see here Jesus's night of torture and then his trial before the Sanhedrin. In the night of torture, we do not have covered here. Luke doesn't give us the details of Jesus' first trial. Jesus was first brought uh, to the house of Annas, his palace. We looked at that last week as Peter was there warming himself by the fire. John was related, I was uh, known by the family of the high priest, Annas' family, and so he was allowed in. We are not given the details, though, by Luke of that trial before Annas. We just know that he's locked up there, and we see what happens after Annas determines he is guilty and locks him up. It says that the men that held Jesus, those responsible for Jesus' security, it says they mocked him and they smote him. Now, they have found a prison cell in this recently excavated palace of Annas. And so we can know very likely the room that Jesus was held in and tortured in here that night. These events likely occurred in that room. And it says they mocked him and smote him. The word is in the, those two words are in the imperfect tense, which means they kept on doing it. 
they kept on mocking. They kept on smiting him. The word mock there, it means to make fun of someone by pretending he is not what he is or by imitating him in a distorted manner. And we'll see an example of that in a moment. And they smote him. It means to either beat or whip repeatedly. So this violence and ridicule went on throughout the night. This was not just they threw him into the the cell and they beat him once or twice or they mocked him a few times. This went on repeatedly throughout the night. Now Luke gives us just one example of this torturous experience that Jesus went through. It says that when they had blindfolded him, they put a bag over his head or they veiled him in some way so that he could not see. It says they struck him on the face. And again, that's in the imperfect, so they kept on doing this. They were striking him or beating him on the face. And then they would mock him saying, prophesy, you who are the son of God, the the prophet of God, God's messenger, prophesy, tell us which one smote you. So there are multiple guards hitting him from different directions. Now, when you know a blow's coming, uh, you can cushion it some, right? Uh, In fact, usually the times you have the worst injuries is when you take a step and you didn't know it went down, and then you break your ankle because you can't cushion it at all. It's not like you just took a misstep. You took a complete off step, and the body can't prepare, and therefore it can't cushion the blow. So when you see someone swinging at you or someone coming towards you, um, you tend to be able to cushion the blow a little bit. When you can't, you take the full weight of that blow. That's why, you know, in football, they call it being blindsided, you know. That's the hardest hit. I remember when I was at school and we had this um, basketball hoop and some tennis courts there. And, uh, and so we'd go down there because we're up in a mountain. Everything closed at 7 p.m. There's nothing to do. And so we'd be down there often. And uh, there was this clothesline hanger, one of those old ones that was like a metal pole, not a hang, hanger. And, uh, and for whatever reason, it was nearby that area. And so I had to go retrieve the tennis ball one time when I was playing with a buddy. And I just don't have good peripheral vision. So I don't see things that are to the sides of me. And I also don't see things that are just above me. I've walked into like, if you have one of those like tall trucks, you know, big, huge trucks, I, I curse you every day, you know, because I tend to, in parking lots, run into the, the rear view, the side view mirrors all the time. I just don't see things that are above this level real well. And man, I just walked, I walked right into that pole. Now, I was down there hitting the, the tennis ball against the wall. I was knocked out for like an hour and a half. My, my wife, at that time we were engaged, she came and found me just lying there. And, uh, and so you think, well, why would something like that do that? Because there's no way to cushion the blow. Now, here's Jesus, no way to know where the blow's coming from, no way to cushion the blow, and he's getting punched or hit or slapped or smacked or something throughout the night. Is it any wonder that Pilate, when he brought Jesus out, he said, behold the man, because he didn't look like a, a, a person, he didn't look like a human being anymore, he looked like a, you know, like a piece of meat hanging in a, in a factory. And then they mocked him. Prophesy. Tell us who struck you. And many other things they blasphemy spoke against him. The word blasphemously, blasphemously, um, it means to criticize in an abusive or insulting manner. Other means different. They had different things that Luke doesn't list here that they did to him. The thought of the sinless Lamb of God and, and during a night of torture like this is repulsive. It's repulsive. 
You know, I, I grew up, I grew up around uh, animals and, you know, we, we tended to treat animals with a lot of respect in my family. It was always weird to me to see someone, you know, pulling tails off lizards or something like that. But those are, those are animals, you know, and as horrible as that might be to them, doing this not just to a person, but to the sinless, harmless Lamb of God. But that's the best humanity can do when it's the time of self. That's humanity at its finest. That's the best I can do in my own strength. Ugly, isn't it? It's very ugly. And is that the thing that I think most people struggle with the most? Like, especially if you're not a believer or if you're a struggling Christian. It's because most people don't really believe that. Don't really believe that that's us at our best, this right here. This is us at our finest if if left to ourselves. Most people think that, that humans are generally decent. They're generally good people. My, one of my kids once it came and they said, Dad, I don't understand why it's, why it's uh, you know, we have to die because Adam and Eve sinned. I mean, it just doesn't seem fair. I said, okay, how about you? Let's just forget about Adam and Eve for a minute. Do you always do the right thing? Do you always honor God? Do you always obey the Lord? Do you always do what's good and right? Do you never look out for self? It's funny, interesting watching it start to come over the struggle over a child's face. Oh, no. Well, I mean, but I think I'm a fairly decent person. I mean, it's what they're struggling with, you know? And you watch the struggle. My kids all have had to come to that place where they've had to wrestle with that reality that that's not true. But I, I watch adults get to a place where over years and years and years, they've chosen not to wrestle with that or chosen to reject that. And they believe they're a decent person. And so then they don't understand why. Why would God punish me? Or why would God have to judge me because, because I just, you know, I, I broke the speed limit or I, or I lost my temper or, you know, I got frustrated with life or I had a rough day and I mistreated a coworker or a client. Why, why, would, why would that be worthy of judgment? They really think deep down they're good. They really don't believe this is us when left to ourselves at our finest. You know, sometimes atheists will make the argument, say, well, you know, you Christians, you say that, you know, you know no one's good, but, but there's lots of good that's done out in the world. What about, you know, you know, a soldier who gives his life for his country or gives his life for his fellow soldier and he's not a Christian or whatever? You know, what about those who, who, who are working in, in, you know, first responders and they run into, you know, burning places or they put, place themselves in harm's way to save an innocent person? You know, isn't that redeemable? Isn't that good? I would say certainly that's good. That's wonderful. It's redeemable. It's great. It's, in fact, Christ-like. Why do we do that? Why do people still do some good things even though by nature we're evil? Well, the Bible answers that question. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of the one who does no evil, who has nothing wrong with him. And being made in his image, we have a conscience. We have a conscience inside of us. I'm going to get a little silly for a minute here. The other day, my kids were watching a show, and you may have seen it. It's called Sophia the First. Cute little adorable show about a little girl witch, right? That's what she is. This little girl is the end of the show, and she's singing a song. And the idea is, is you know, this evil whatever, you know, person is trying to destroy the whole kingdom and, and destroy her. And she starts singing this song, and she talks about, for when you love, it comes back to you. But see, that's the general idea of why we do good from a worldly concept. Why do we do these things? Well, it comes back to you. If you do those things, it'll come back to you. Frequently, I ask someone, I say, why do you do this, 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 or this? Why do you donate your time to this? Or why do you help people out? Or why do you do this? And I'll say, well, it makes me feel good. 
So is that really then a selfless act? You do it because it makes you feel good? No, it's not. And that's the part I think we don't understand at times. Many people do these things. They know they're right. They know they're good. But then we go and we check the motive of it. And I would say that if you sit down with someone, you ask them, is there anything that's done out there for a purely selfless motive? And that's the part that where when we get to scripture, it says there is none that does good. There is none that seeks after God. There's none that seeks what's right. Because even in many of the good things we do, we're loving because we want it to come back to us. We're, we're, we're doing this thing because we, we're hoping somehow it'll come back to us. So even being made in the image of God because of sin, because of our self-will, even our thoughts and our conscience are tainted and suppressed. So by our very nature, this is what we can do if left to ourselves. If God removes conscience, you know, allows our conscience, our conscience to become seared. And if he removes himself from the situation, he doesn't put those things into our mind and our hearts. This is what we do every time. That's the ugliness of what we are without God. People say if we get rid of God and we get rid of the Bible, the world would be a better place. Well, guess what? This was a night devoid of God and devoid of truth. How good does it look? Pretty ugly. But this is the inevitable ugly result when humanity rejects God. And, and this will not be the last time we see it. I mean, we see it all the time, but we're going to see it in totality in the Great Tribulation when the Bible says that humanity will rally behind their man, the Antichrist, and will reject the Lord. And we will bring ourselves to the brink of self-destruction. That's the best we can do. That's the best we can do. If left completely to ourselves, where God takes his hands off and says, fine, you want it, you got it. The best that we can do is we bring ourselves to this ugliness, to the point where Jesus said, if I didn't come back, there'd be no life left. And thus, in this ugly night, devoid of God, devoid of truth, we also see the beautiful love of God. Because in Christ's sufferings, in his torture, we read in Isaiah 53, a chapter dedicated to the sufferings of the Messiah. In verses 10 and 11, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That is such a foreign thought. It pleased God, his Father, to it please, please Jesus to go through this? Yes. He has put him to grief. And when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, the result of that offering. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. For he shall see the travail of his soul, and it shall be satisfied. For by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." It pleased the Lord to allow this to happen because of what it was accomplishing for us. Our redemption, our salvation, our justification. For God will see the suffering of his son. Jesus will see his suffering and be satisfied. All of his wrath for our sin will be satisfied. Both the father and the son were okay with this because it was happening to them instead of happening to us. Amen? That's what pleased them that it was happening to them instead of happening to us. And so as Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As soon as it was day, so this night of tortures ended, 
the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council. The elders of the people would be the Sanhedrin, the high council of the Jews. Chief priests would be the high priest and all of his family. The scribes are the rabbis. These are all the people who are going to bring their charges against Jesus. And they led him into their council saying, are you the Christ? Tell us. Jesus' night trial was illegal according to Scripture. The law of Moses stated clearly that no Jew could be tried overnight. He, he would be he was allowed to get rest. He was allowed to, get, you know, to gather himself so he could make his defense the next day. You were never allowed to try someone overnight, but they did that. So this is the official trial before Caiaphas, the official Roman high priest, the one that Rome set up as a puppet. And so when they gets there, his trial, they say, are you the Christ tell us, or literally, if you are the Messiah, you must tell us. This is also illegal because Scripture in the law of Moses said that no man or woman could be required to testify against themselves. They had the equivalent of the Fifth Amendment, you know, that you could plead the Fifth Amendment. I will not testify against myself. No one could be called to testify against themselves. No one could be demanded to testify against themselves. But here again, this is all a sham. And so they demand, if you're the Messiah, you must tell us. Jesus' reply shows that he's looking to what he's going to accomplish by going through this rather than the sham that's going on right now. For he says to them, if I tell you, you won't believe me. You won't believe it. If I tell you I am, you won't believe me. And if I also ask you some questions, if I work with you here, if I try to have a healthy conversation with you about your mistakes... You won't answer me, neither will you let me go. You know, Jesus wasn't against telling them who he was. He didn't have a problem with that. But he was not going to do so if it served no purpose. In other words, if they were willing to listen, if they were willing to reason, willing to believe, then he'd work with them. He'd reason with them. He'd answer all their questions. He'd answer all their hang-ups. But they didn't want the truth. They'd already made up their minds. And so there was nothing honest or just about this trial. They were just trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. And so instead of incriminating himself, Jesus gives them a prophecy that might stir some from their stubborn, stubbornness when it actually happens. They're not listening now, but maybe they'll listen later and remember this. For in verse 69, he says, Hereafter, since you won't listen now, hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. After this hour has borne its fruit, after the hour of self, the jurisdiction of evil has borne its fruit, my death. After that shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. I will, the word there, shall sit, means continuously, continuously sit in that position of high status next to my Father. The right hand of the power of God, the jurisdiction of God. It's almost like Jesus says, this is your hour, this is the jurisdiction of evil, but it will not last you can't hold on to me forever. I'll be back in my father's jurisdiction shortly, and there I'll remain honored by his side. What person would ever make that claim? I mean, I'm making the claim I'm going to be with Jesus someday, right? I'm not going to make the claim to sit, sit at the right hand of the father, though. <laughs> you know, that's that honored position belongs only to his son, only he doesn't share his glory with anyone, the Bible says. He said, I am the Lord. There is none besides me. He doesn't share it with anyone. So the only one worthy to sit at his right hand is someone who is, is just like him, someone who is God as, as well, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. 
Now, they immediately pick up on that, that no man would make this claim because it's a claim to deity. And so then said they all, Are you then the Son of God? And Jesus replied, said unto them, King James says, You say that I am, but literally it means you say it because I am. I am baffled by those who would actually claim that Jesus never said he was God. <laughs> I'm baffled when I hear people say that. You know, I'll hear Christians sometimes say that, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I'm like, you need to pick up a Bible, please. (laughs) Multiple times Jesus claims to be God. And then there are times Jesus says things only God could say, does things only God can do. But here is one of the areas where he just comes out and says it. He said unto them, they said unto him, are you then the son of God? And he says, you say it because I am. Multiple times Jesus comes right out and says it. And this is one of those times. Listen, the deity of Christ is an essential of our faith. You cannot be a Christian and and reject the deity of Christ. You cannot. Now, it doesn't mean you need to be able to understand all the facets of the Trinity. You know, inevitably, that's one my kids eventually come to me about as well. Say, Dad, I don't understand this whole three-in-one thing. I say, well, join the club, you know. But the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that he is God the Son. And you cannot reject that. That is why, you know, a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, Christian Science, why all those are, are cults. They reject an essential of the faith, you know. In First John, I want to say chapter 2, the very end of it, it talks about how, who is he that is Antichrist? Is he that denies that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, you, you cannot say that he's not God, that, that he is not God the Son, God in, in, uh, in the second person of the Trinity. You, you cannot deny that and be a Christian, because it changes who Jesus is. A man could not die for my sins, but God certainly can. A man could not be perfect, but God certainly can be the perfect sacrifice for my sins. I said one cannot be a believer and reject that Jesus is the Son of God, but that's exactly what these men do. For verse 71 says, they said, what need we any further witnesses for we ourselves have heard it from his own mouth. We have enough evidence. We're done. So verse 1, chapter 23, the whole multitude of them arose, and they led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, when it says the whole multitude of them arose, it means all 70 members, all the rabbis, all the chief priests and his family. That's a pretty imposing group to now approach Pilate at his hall, his judgment hall. Pilate is an interesting individual. He became governor of the Judean region uh, in 25 AD. He had a notorious hatred for the Jewish people. Uh, One time when he was really upset with them, they came to bring a complaint, and he actually dressed up some of his soldiers like the Jewish people and had them murder all the petitioners who were there in his judgment hall, had the doors locked, and had them murder all those petitioners. So they did it when no one suspected. So, I mean, this guy, he just hated the Jews. He was, his, he, numerous times, uh, individuals have talked about him and, and quoted him as saying things like, I can't wait to eradicate this people, blah, blah, blah. He hated them. And, and that consistently got him in trouble with Rome because the one thing Rome didn't want was trouble. And the Jews were always complaining about Pilate. And so Pilate, at this point in his career, he is on his last leg with Rome. The emperor is like, I've had it with you. I don't want to have any more problems. You better keep the peace there. Shortly after Jesus' death, 
Pilate will be removed from power and exiled to Gaul where he'll die because he has another run-in with the Jews. So this guy is not someone that he likes them, they like him. So when you've got this group of people and you know you're on your last leg and they show up at your hall, you can't just dismiss them, which is what he would love to do. So they show up there and they begin to accuse, bring charges against Jesus. We found this fellow, number one, perverting the nation. The word there means to continually mislead. And, and the idea here, it, it, means you, it, it means that you presuppose you should be leading instead of Rome leading, which is what they'll accuse him of a moment, saying that uh, Caesar isn't king, but he's the king of the Jews. So misleading the people. Secondly, that he is forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Now, that is a flat-out lie. Jesus was not leading, these are both flat out lies. Jesus was not leading an insurrection. He wasn't trying to usurp any thrones. And he taught that the people should pay taxes to Caesar. So these are both flat out lies. And, and listen, if you ever have to lie to achieve what you might believe is even a good result, you're in sin. You're in sin. Listening to a Christian comedian and he he said, uh, he said, parents lie to their kids all the time. We teach our kids not to lie, but we lie to them all the time. And I'm like, we do? If you're trying to achieve a good result through lying, you're in sin. These guys really believed that they were doing something good, but they had to lie to achieve the result. And that's always going to be sin. If you have to lie to get ahead at your job, God's not the one promoting you. If you have to lie to, to, to get the girl, then God's not the one who brought her into your life. So Pilate, verse 3 even beyond lying, even a good end never justifies evil means, ever. Does everybody understand that? Even a good end never justifies evil means, never. Evil means are always wicked, and God always hates it, no matter what the end might be. Even if you think it gives you a more favorable result, it's wicked and God hates it. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.